I wouldn't dance with him for all of Derbyshire, let alone a miserable heart. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to a new uh, practice of film criticism uh, podcast. Uh, my name is Jose Arroyo. Uh, today we're welcome welcoming uh, Lizzie Ozzel. Uh, hello, Lizzie. Hi. Hi. And we're going to be talking about uh, Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 uh, adaptation directed by Joe Wright and starring Kira Knightley. So, Lizzie, what draws you to this film? I guess my original love of it dates back to my mum showing it me as a small child and um, I guess I fell in love with the with the kind of fantastical elements of it. It's very uh, theatrical and then um, I guess as I grew I read the book and I started to understand the deeper elements and it just became quite personal. I really love Elizabeth Bennet as a character, her wit and her kind of love for literature and that, I guess that resonates a lot with me and I think there's so much rewatchability to the film there's so much to keep unpacking from the attention to detail of the mise-en-scene etc. It's very interesting that you mentioned the novel because of course it is one of the greatest and certainly one of the most beloved uh, of novels in the English literary canon Um, but usually when people love a novel they tend to not like the filmic mm. adaptation mm. or to find it lacking in some way. Uh, and yet you seem to, to like both. Yeah, so. def- yeah definitely. So um, uh, before, uh, before the film came out, um, the most popular adaptation was probably the 1995 miniseries from, mm. the, from the BBC with Colin Firth. And people really credited that for its faithfulness to the to the material. Um, and the Pride and Prejudice 2005 film does take more creative liberties and it does cut certain elements out. But I think the stuff that it chooses to cut out, for example, Elizabeth's relationship with Mr. Wickham is a lot deeper and more extensive in the book than mm. it shows in, in the film. But I think that the subtle nods that it makes towards her relationship with him is enough to provide the rest of the story with the depth. I don't think you could put across her relationship with Mr. Wickham in a a concise enough sense to give it more justice than the film already does. Mm. Like I said earlier, because I knew the film for so long before I read the book as an an adult, I was more lenient towards Mm. the film, biased you might say. And I guess Jane Austen's work is so renowned that you would be, I think it would be hard for anyone to ever make a visual medium that everyone would say gave it complete justice. Mm. And I think that this is as close as you could come. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about Jane Austen and, and English culture in mm-hmm. particular, because I mean, I've been living here for 30 years now and it seems you cannot get away from Jane Austen adaptations, right? And in a way they're a, they're a pleasure. Yeah, the books are always there for everyone to read. But it seems that every three, four years, Mm. a new adaptation of a Jane Austen work comes out, either on long-form television or as a film. Yeah, there have been several adaptations of Emma already Mm. in the last few years. I think every Sense and Sensibility, I think even Persuasion. Mm. So, Mm. um, you know, why do you think that is, aside from obviously the work being so so charming and, and wonderful? I mean, this could be said for for anyone, but I guess there is 
the right combination of allowing a new generation to access that material. So for instance, the Emma, I think came out in 2020, the Autumn de Wilde yes. version with, and with Anya Taylor-Joy, I think is a really good uh, blend of modernity and Jane Austen's work. Mm. And I think it really brings the new kind of like digital era and like even Anya Taylor-Joy, she almost represents the Gen Z generation. Mm. Whereas I think the new Persuasion film that's come out with Dakota Johnson straight onto Netflix is an abomination mm. of Jane Austen's work and they've tried to modernise it too much and they have failed. And I think that Jane Austen's work allows for these adaptations to continue because there is so much depth to it and the humour that she was able to write will be funny forever mm. in my opinion. So Love and Friendship is one of the adaptations that I watched most recently and um, the humour in that I thought was was genius and mm. it's all it's always so authentic none of her humour and her dialogue and her wit feels forced and I think that that is quite lacking in writing and films nowadays and I feel that people aren't as willing to write original works as they used to be and so relying on something as concrete and renowned as Jane Austen is, is quite typical. Okay, great. For, for those who might live on Mars and who don't know the plot of the film, uh, why don't you tell us, uh, tell us about it and then also tell us a little bit about what the film felt like to, to watch, yeah. Yeah. What it um, looked like. You start out meeting the Bennett family and there's Mr. Bennett, Mrs. Bennett, um, Donald Sutherland and Bletha Bletherin. And then they've got five daughters, Jane, Elizabeth, L Lydia, Kitty and Mary. Mm. And they're all very different ages and you've got the two oldest sisters who are much more sophisticated, much more subtle in their search for love and romance and then the middle two girls um Lydia and Kitty who are very enthusiastic very exaggerated they're very childish mm. um and then Mary is kind of like that that outcast slightly darker almost edgy kind of sister and I think that it begins that dynamic really quickly and then the main film is about uh, Elizabeth and Mr Darcy's like brooding reluctant romance and Jane and Mr Bingley Mr Bingley being Darcy's best friend their kind of contrasting romance of kindness and charisma and um, there's lots of the main themes you know kind of surround social class and gender the positions of gender and power and um, I guess the the feelings and emotions that I get when I watch it there's a really strong sense of warmth and of love I think that I think that there's a sense of love put into the film that you get out of it when you watch it and I think that that's really powerful and I think that you can enjoy the film on a on a surface level because it's so beautiful but then it's so like thematically rich that you can choose to delve that bit deeper and get so much out of it if you want to and the score is so powerful and it can hit so hard for instance you know when Elizabeth's on that cliffside in the mm. Peak District and she's looking out and the music kicks, kicks in it's such a it's such a liberating and powerful moment and I don't I don't see how someone could watch it and not feel wow this moment Okay, so let's elaborate a little bit upon the film's virtues. So what do you think that the film does particularly well? 
I think it definitely translates really well all of the emotion in the book into a visual aspect because in the book you're allowed you're allowed a deeper sense into their minds and um, the letters and correspondence that they send to each other mm. and I think that the film does a great job of taking that and translating it in other ways to by their you know their really subtle facial expressions or the the changes to blue lighting and I think that that's a re I think it's such a great example of how to utilize the camera and the landscape and taking the advantage of that and um, the the cinematographer Roman Ozin I think he just excels in this in this landscape the way he moves with the camera and makes the most of interior spaces to show the differences between the characters lives and the characters classes and I can't think of a film that does it that well mm. I mean, one of the things to maybe articulate for you know our listeners is that the plot revolves around the potential of this family to lose their home, yeah, because the father's getting old, their estate is entailed onto a relative, yeah, who upon taking up the new post uh, will take up the house. So these young girls, un unless they marry, yeah, the mother and the daughters will re will remain homeless. So there is a pressure on them to marry, but also this loss of home, yeah, the home, the gardens, the landscape, mm. yeah, both outside and inside take on a particular resonance because in a way the family is the home the home is the family and it's yeah. about to be lost you know or it's potentially about to be yeah, lost yeah absolutely and i think that that puts a lot of onus onto the scenes with mr collins mm -hmm. when kind of despite his ridiculousness he's still in a position of power above the rest of the family mm. even though they are the ones ridiculing him he is the one that is going to inherit the house when the when the father dies it gives it really puts that uh, curveball when elizabeth rejects him and you can really sympathize with the mother kind mm. of being like well you don't have a choice mm. if you don't we're all going to be desolate and then the father coming to elizabeth's aid and saying well if you if you do marry him then i'll never see you again because mm. He is ridiculous and that that's not who you should end up with and i think the film well the book the book and the film are i i think that they say a lot in in that especially that austin would write that storyline at the time mm. because if you look at little women um as a as a contrast there's a part in little women <laughs> Sorry. There's a part in Little Women where Joe is selling a story to the newspaper and the newspaper says um, nobody wants to read about a woman who doesn't end up married. And like Elizabeth is kind of choosing that when she turns down Mr. Collins, obviously, in the end. She uh, ends up with Mr. Darcy, but I just think that it's a really wonderful addition. Mm. So Lizzie's going to be doing a video essay on this work, and I'm wondering to what extent you're going to develop or, or to what extent adaptation is going to be a concern of yours in this work? It was definitely something that I pondered over and weighed up um, for a while. But I guess when you watch the film, one of the main things that strikes me is the, is the landscape and, it, and is the lighting and the film would not be the same without it. And I guess I thought that that was just a bit more of a creative aspect that I would be able to put across easier in a visual essay sure. than talking about the, the, the process of the adaptation or the accuracy of the adaptation. I don't, I don't think that a film has to be faithful to its source material in order to be a successful adaptation. Oh, it definitely yeah. doesn't. Nonetheless, I always feel that 
and this aside from the literary origins of this um but you know i mean talking about little women for example i i have now seen i don't know four five of the yeah. films of it and i would find it difficult to talk about any one of them without cross-referencing the others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. you say, oh, this sister's better in this film, or this situation is handled better in that yeah, film. Yeah. This is more feminist, right? Like Absolutely. The romances just, with Laurie are, yeah. are tackled so differently in, in the films. Yeah. yeah. So it just invariably comes to mind. So I think there might be a difference about making that a focus, hmm. or just actually, you know, someone who knows the book as well as you do, and then who's seen the film and who sees other adaptations, how could you not compare? Yeah. Yeah, and yet in comparing, you, the notion of adapted, how is yeah. this adapted better for this? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I do think um, from that perspective, it does play into what I'm going to be doing because I really liked the idea that some people pitched to me about kind of trying to compare it to the other versions in terms of the landscape. So, for yes. instance, the American version and how that isn't filmed on set at all. It's not even filmed in the right country. Mm. Um and then the mini series, which although it is filmed in England and it is predominantly filmed kind of outside, it's re it's got that same rural feeling. It doesn't have that same well, I don't know. It's more of a regal approach and less of a countryside thoroughbred kind of approach. Mm. And I do think that that would be a great a great point for comparison. Well, I suppose my next question is really, what do you think are the weaknesses in Joe Wright's film? Are there elements that don't seem to work as well for you that is an incredibly hard question for me i was i was asking my friends yesterday please can you point out some flaws in this film to me that i can try and dissect and criticize because currently my evaluation is so biased mm. and i i guess if if you pitch something i would really love to discuss it but i do find it very hard you know i find the ending a problem yeah so i mean not that it doesn't work or anything yeah. it's just i think it it takes the focus away from the couple really yeah uh and of course it it is a film and i think a, a story in which the couple is not just about two people mm -hmm. finding true love you know, yeah but it's also about the maintenance of home and country right yeah like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so yeah i mean i think there might have been a way in which the film would could have connected all of those things yeah yeah, the marriage means that the family can continue mm -hmm. and yeah, and it's safe and yeah, yeah. But I think turning it on to the father to the extent that it does <laughs> is a sop to to stardom, really. Yeah, I do think that it's I do think it's a really interesting take um, with the with the with Donald Sutherland playing the dad mm. and him not quite having that amount of screen time until those until those final minutes, but. To me, it, it does pull all, all of those themes together. And I really enjoy the father character all the way through the film. So again, maybe maybe I'm slightly biased and I kind of feel, I, I can feel that relationship that she has with her father, with my father, and mm. the way that he says, oh, I don't, I don't think anyone could deserve you, but you clearly love him, mm. so like, I'll let you go kind of thing. And I, I just think that those lines are really beautiful and really meaningful. And I love that you have that scene of Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy together, uniting in that field, and it's, inc it's incredibly romantic, etc. And then they have that last parting glance through that door, 
and that's kind of the last time we see them and it really encapsulates all of that longing that they've been doing throughout the film always so like far apart I, I think that does it really well and kind of bringing the context of the era back in the way that they both have to ask per permission to even to even be together I think it does that in a in a really lovely way and then the way and I think it would have been so hard to end the film in the in the right way because the book is so different and in the book like they do get married and it goes on and it tells you a little bit about all of their lives kind of after the film ends um but i do think that it manages to find a good place to oh okay this is the story now we're gonna now mm. we're gonna stop second story though and we'll return to to lighting and landscape but i think one of the most memorable things one of the things that defines a novel or defines characterizes that when people think of it that's what they think mm. of is the tone yeah it's kind of funny yeah. and satirical and knowing but true yeah yeah it's chuckly so you know how does the film or the well a does the film attempt to recreate that tone yeah does it succeed in doing so and if so how does it do i think that i think that it definitely manages to take on that light element the mother is definitely a a comedical figure and um, I think the chemistry between the actors I think they bounce off each other really well I think that Mr Bingley provides a really a really great tone than the rest of the um, characters in the sense that he's much he's much less serious he's much more free-flowing mm. and I think that can really resonate with the audience and it gives them someone a bit more human than the than the rest of the characters yes I was just throwing you know, an idea at you because I thought part of the reason why the film, um, one of the ways that the film recreates the tone of the mm -hmm, novel mm -hmm. is through the acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's what, you know, when Americans talk about, you know, British actors being great, I think kind of what they mean really is that they can do various levels and various kinds of highly stylized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whereas, you know, we tend to think of American actors in relation an idea of realism or truthfulness yeah like Al Pacino or De Niro or yeah. even Brando who of course in some ways is very highly stylized but but he doesn't you don't see him playing farce in one film yeah so yeah. the actors here are, are highly stylized in different ways so I think like uh, you know Brenda Blethyn's performance is like a comic gem really mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and and completely out there and then Tom Hollander mm -hmm. yeah uh, what's his character's name is it Mr. Bingley yeah yeah you know Superb, exactly. right? And yeah. really exaggerated and so on, right? So these different kind of highly stylized uh, styles of performances are one of the things, you know, that bring in the comic element, was actually, I think, elements of mise-en-scene and so on create a space for that comedy, but themselves are more serious. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so it creates that tension that the novel has yeah. between the serious and the comic. Yeah, I think that... I think that the casting, for those reasons you've just said, is, is spot on. Mm. And the, the, the book and the film are so character-driven and emotion-driven that without those key performances, the film would fall flat. It, mm. it really would. And I think um, even, the, even the smaller characters, like Mr Bingley's sister, mm. she has that disdain and that detest for for all things improper and it get she puts it across so well um i, I really enjoy all of the performances even mr collins mm -hmm. and um, charlotte who he ends up with when you get to see their small house and when he's all frantic around um lady catherine i just think it's all spot on 
and mm. Judy Dench, obviously, mm. and she's massive, yes. um, and she's not even in it that much until she has that larger scene at the end, mm. um, which I think is really important. And her and Kira Knightley, you can really the tension in that scene is so strong. Let's talk about interiors a little bit because obviously it's one of the ways that the film kind of signifies. And I thought that the discussion after the screening, you know, brought out kind mm. of you know interesting ideas on the types of interiors and the way that they were used yeah. Yeah, to communicate in the film. So Yeah, I can remember somebody bringing up the, the contrast between the interior of the Bennett's house and then the interior of Mr. Darcy's house. Yes. And I really I really like that comparison. In their house, there's so much wood and on the, on the surface is kind of crowding it. And you get that warm, it's a really lived in house. It's a, it's a, really, it's a real family house compared to Mr. Darcy's house where the floor is completely polished and then all of the statues, it feels much more detached from human life. It doesn't feel like anybody lives there. Um, and the way that the emphasis on his house is on art and on uh, delicacy, it really bridges that divide between them even more. And I think that that is, is really powerful. And I love that it's not, it's not in your face. You have to, you do have to pick up on it yourself, but it is also quite obvious. Mm. In Can you link the interiors to different types of lighting in the film? I think, um, oh, probably, yeah. On times of contemplation or when Elizabeth is confronted with a situation, she will often move to a space with, with darker lighting. So in the ballroom scenes, when Mr. Darcy asks her to dance for the first time, then her and Charlotte move away from, from the main event where there's yellow and orange light and there's candles and life. And they move into that room where there's a very, very subtle blue toned glow on them because she doesn't know what to do in this situation and she's a bit scared of how she feels towards Mr. Darcy, etc. And I think that, again, that conveys the emotion of the characters and the situation so well visually, um, just, in that, just in that tiny interior space. Mm. And how about with exteriors? Because obviously landscape is going to be you know, a key uh, element of your research. Mm. So you know, what are the landscapes and how are they lit? I think that it does a really good job of keeping it really English. Obviously the Peak District is, is a gem of the English countryside. And the the stately homes, Chatsworth House. It's the largest still privately owned estate in England. And I think to have that be one of the houses used, it just it says a lot about what the film represents and that and that Britishness countryside. And I think that the landscape it does a lot to bring out that brooding and romanticized romance that's that's going on, kind of like uh, Wuthering Heights mm. with all of the moors. It's different from that in the sense that it's more less wild. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a, there's such an elegance to it. And then you brought up after the screening, contrasting that elegance is all those scenes with the mud and the muck and mm. the pigs. And I think that that again adds to those deeper themes. Yes, which is made to seem lively and mm. real and desirable. I saw the mud and the pigs and so on. It's not shown always in this filthy. It's shown. Isn't this wonderful? So now let's talk about landscape again, kind of more clearly, because mm -hmm. one of the things that I thought when watching it, it instantly came to mind, you know, that there were um, images that seemed to come straight out of Constable. Yeah, and there were a couple of images that I thought were like Caspar Friedrich. Mm -hmm. You know, those images where I think, yeah, the figure alone and what looks like the Moors, but yeah. in fact, yeah, yeah, it's these hills, you know, that seemed to be like a Caspar Friedrich painting. Have you done any research on this? Do you, do you, have you 
check to see how the director might have deployed a, a yeah. history of English painting. I definitely haven't done enough or as much as I want. I really think it will be a great a great thing to, to visually compare in the in the video essay to kind of get one painting and one scene and compare them and see where the inspiration might have come from if Joe Wright has ever said explicitly, oh yeah, this scene is taken from that, etc. When Elizabeth is walking to see her sister at Mr. Bingley's house, those scenes that you're on about when she's walking alone, and she's like right in the center and there's that grass all below her and the sky is that like beautiful dark blue it really does look exactly like a painting you know i was thinking that one of the things that you might consider doing is going to the british institute library Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, in London, because they, well, they will definitely have press packages for the film. Mm. But, you know, you may also be able to find, the film is now 20 years old, right? Yeah, or close to 20 years yeah, old. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, there might be production notes or production files or, yeah, yeah like a little bit of finding out if they have something, first yeah. of all. And then if they have something, going to see it. Yeah, that yeah. would be incredible. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. That w I wouldn't. That wouldn't have even crossed my mind either. So yeah. I'm so glad you brought brought it's, that it's, up. Yeah, it's worth checking out. All right, now we screened the film. My feeling was that everyone really loved it, and some people, you know, were surprised that they did. Yeah. Uh, because it's a very well made film, and it's a, yeah. it's a yeah. surprisingly well directed film, I think. Or or I got the sense that people were surprised at it. Yeah. I don't know how to raise this, but you know, there is a sense in which, at least on film, maybe I'm wrong, Yeah. so this is just a theory, mm -hmm. but that the viewing of Jane Austen films is quite gendered, that mm -hmm. they're seen as really girly films, or yeah. films addressed to the female audience primarily, the costumes, the, the themes, the marriages, and so on. Uh, I'm not sure that, that that is as true of television, so that the guys in the audience saw it and they liked it, I think they were a bit surprised. I thought there was a bit yeah, of prejudice. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just reading. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Um, so is that your sense? And is this something that you're thinking or dealing with at all? I definitely would agree 100% um, that it surprises men when they when they enjoy the film because it is so strongly um, gendered like you say and the female protagonist is so strong and Jane Austen is so renowned for those strong mm. female characters but like you say I think the way that it's the way that it's filmed and the skill and the, the kind of technical achievements behind it allow them to overcome like you say their prejudice before watching it and enjoy it. It's not something that I'm going to explore in the video essay. Don't think it's something that typically piques my interest because mm. there's so much gender politics in life and throughout film. This film is so renowned for that gender politics mm. and it's quite explicit in it that I don't think it needs me to unpack it. Mm. So but, yeah. what does it need you to unpack? <laughs> and how did the discussion yeah, at the end yeah. give you ideas on what and how to do so? Yeah, I think that I think I think that light and landscape needs unpacking by me because well for starters it's my favorite part of the film so it's what excites me and it's what makes me passionate about it and it's what I think the film I think it's what's most important to the film in terms of like visual achievement and that and that visual adaptation and the way in which it conveys the emotions of the characters through the lighting and through the landscape I think is so important to the overall experience of the film and to, to really understanding it on that on that deeper level 
So I think that a video essay is the perfect opportunity to portray that and just let people know of the importance and the, the brilliance of, of, of Pride and Prejudice by Joe Wright. Well, that's a lovely note to end on. <laughs> so thank you very much, uh, uh, Lizzie Ozzelt. Uh, I'm Jose Arroyo. We are the Practice of Film Criticism podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.